CFB Paint Week 1 Reaction Pod. Uh, first full weekend of college football in the books. We're going to go with our rapid round, and today we're doing a rapid round in order of worst acne as a teenager. We had a spirited debate ahead of pushing the record button, but here's how it shook out. Brian will go first, I will go second, and Corey on the clearasil kept his face beautifully clean and completely took care of the shine. Or maybe, maybe, maybe we all the proactive, you know, no, Jessica I mean, Simpson, I think was doing the, Oh, never, all right. I just remember Jessica Simpson was doing those ads at the time. And uh, <laughs> so anyway, either way, great work on, on, on your hygiene routine as a teenager, Corey, Brian, you got some splaining to do. I didn't think it was that bad. If I'm being honest, uh, I was determined not to be worst here, but I was outvoted and, you know, that's that's when we find the truth. I think the story that puts the nail in the coffin, uh, I, I served an LDS mission. And when I came back from after two years, I saw one of my friends. And the first thing he said is, oh, Brian, your acne cleared up. Uh, and that's, you know, not the first thing I was hoping you'd notice. You know, I, it's much more manly now. I was older, but uh, it, it kind of puts the nail in the coffin for that. Um, wrap around for this week. Things that stuck out, we had a few contenders or what we thought were going to be contenders coming into the college football season. Not look so contendery. You have first... You have Clemson losing to Duke. Not how they expected to go. They're going to need to go unscathed the rest of the way if they want to go to the, the playoff this year. And even then, you know, there may be some competition among one-loss teams about who's going to make it. Ohio State won convincingly. You know, they, they were better than Indiana for sure, right? But we expected to see them a lot better than they were in that performance. Uh, and with the tools that you have on the outside especially, kind of expect the offense to light things up a bit more. Defense did well, um, but wasn't wasn't the most convincing display from the Buckeyes. Um, also, LSU, that's what we'll get into because there's a tough judgment of, well, Florida State looks very contendery. LSU, maybe not so much, but how much are you judging a team on, you know, I think FSU's really good, so LSU's not really that bad, or LSU's not as good as we thought, so maybe Florida State's just, just as good as we thought. Um, kind of tough to, to weigh out there, but anyway, about it, LSU's got a, a long road ahead of them if they want to compete in the playoff. Uh, and then the last thing I want to comment on is Dante Moore at UCLA uh, takes over the job partway through the week. I think he looks college ready. Um, I liked him out of high school. I think he's looking the part and we'll see what the Bruins can do throughout the season. But, you know, a true freshman coming in, I think he's going to make a serious impact for them throughout the year. Yeah. All, all good points, all fascinating storylines to watch and kind of follow moving forward. I really, as far as our rapid round, I'm just here to eat crow. No one likes eating crow, but it's sure better served warm. Uh, so I'm going to do it quickly. Man, Colorado looked very impressive uh, relative to what I expected. Uh, and I really wasn't sure what to expect. Uh, they looked pretty polished. They looked way more prepared from a just like, – football operations standpoint than TCU, uh, less penalties, uh, just looked ready to play. And so I am uh, here to just say, you know what, I, I misjudged them. I thought Prime would get his recruiting wins, but it would probably take him a while before they really stacked up on the field. And it may still, but they're going to be a tougher out this year than I had them pegged for. So it'll be exciting to see, like – I think they're probably now at six or seven wins in, in my book. Now that having seen them once and seen what that offense is capable of doing and some of the playmakers they have, including one that's playing both ways. Uh, wow. Wow. Very impressed with, with the buffs uh, in, in a small sample size, but uh, Dion, I believe. 
That was going to be one of my comments. He, oh, dang it. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm joking about that. He talking to the local uh, local uh, interviewers or the local, uh, what do you call it, the beat writers. Media. Do you believe? Do you believe? You don't believe. <laughs> and I, I think, yeah, I have to eat crow with that too, Steve. I, I was not necessarily a believer. I didn't think – Dion is such a brash and, and overpowering personality. Like, you got to – Sometimes it's hard for me to men- mentally go, okay, he probably, gotta, he probably separates that from how he interacts with people because he has players that love him and are loyal to him and know who, how he is. But there's also like that brash personality isn't what didn't overpower his coordinators, didn't overpower his team and how they function. And so it was impressive. He handled his team well. And I, I think I have him higher than that, Stephen. I think I, this might be a nine win team. Um, Whoa. Yeah, I went back through their schedule. I was like, mm, I think this is. Got some numbers. When we go over this game, I'll talk to him about it. Uh, my ra- other rapid re- rapid re- reaction, uh, Pac-12, 13-0 so far. Like, we, why couldn't we just keep this, team, this thing together? Oh, well, whatever. And then two more things. SEC, didn't look as polished as it should have been. You lost to North Carolina. You lost to Utah. You lost to Florida State. And I'm going to talk about some of those teams that are in the big – that were in those big games. LSU, South Carolina, UF, Clemson. Terrible in the red zone. All of them could not finish. LSU, all four teams were 112th or worse in percentage of points of finishing in the, in the red zone. The highest that, that any team had was LSU and South Carolina. Both scored on 60% of their red zone attempts, but only walked away with 17 points in five possessions, both of them. UF, 500, walked away with nine points in four red zone possessions. That's two points per red zone possession. That's terrible. And Clemson, seven points for four red zone positions. Less than two points. There's a reason those teams lost this week. Yikes. All right. Yeah, let's get into it. So past week recap, but maybe we try and do this as best we can in order of chronological order of when these games were played. So why don't we do Florida, Utah first? Corey, you shared some thoughts on that. Uh, Why don't you dive a little bit deeper into your takeaways from that game? Yeah, so I rewatched this game twice just to kind of get another feel for it. Uh, my first initial reaction was, wow, Florida just shot themselves in the foot so many times that they pulled themselves out of the game. And even when they were the better team in the second half, uh, moving the ball much better, it wasn't necessarily because they were the better team. It's just kind of because Utah didn't have to move the ball because it didn't seem like Utah was putting up forth that much of an effort, to be frank, um, because they were up 24-3 to at one point in time. Um, I watched it again the second time. Yeah, the comments that came out of national media was like, this looks really Taggart-ish, and they, they aren't terribly wrong. Now, the one thing that may be different is, is how is the back being handled? Um, how How is everything organized? Because the offices and how everything was being organized under Willie Taggart was really the reason he got let go. It was the product on the field was terrible. The disorganization on the field was terrible on the field. And then it matched it what they were seeing within the, the athletic department. This, this doesn't seem to quite be the same thing. I mean, you got the number three class um, locked in right now for, for 2024. Probably going to stay that way, I think. I know that you guys might think differently. I think you got the NIL deals that will keep that in, the, in place. But not a good start, and this team doesn't look well coached. Yeah, for me, it was weird procedural things that are making it look real ugly in week one. And, and those are sort of mistakes you expect more so in week one than throughout the course of the season. But I couldn't help but look at it and go, this is such an ugly one that if you have a few more bad losses, not not losses where you lose by a lot, losses where you look ugly, 
Uh, you have a few more bad losses, and you have a big recruit or two flip. I think the Heat could turn up so fast in Gainesville. Um, they, they love their Gators, and they are used to a certain level of success. Um, I'm not predicting that. I I think Billy Napier is a good coach overall. I think he really did not show well um, in, in in week one. I also think this Utah team. I, I I'm always the first one to like go through the the Pac-12 and you know start to count. Okay, so contenders: Oregon, USC, Washington, and just you know the team who's won it two years in a row. The, the thing that threw me off, especially, is Utah's always good defensively. But week one is usually like a tacit, or tackling disaster for every team across the country. You know, there's always been so much full contact you go through. You don't want to get to week one unhealthy, um, especially with your best players. Every time they had a chance to get a Florida Gator on the ground, they did. Um, and I, that's one thing I was really impressed by, their physicality and their ability to finish on on tackles that really didn't allow, um, you know, some of those dynamic playmakers that Florida has to to get loose. You know, they have good running backs. They have wide receivers who can do stuff. Uh, in the open field, Eugene Wilson looks like a good uh, a good addition as a true freshman. Pearsall's got some real wiggle to him, uh, and then that running back tandem we've talked about a lot in the off season. I thought, you know, with with it being week one, they'd have a chance to you know break bust a couple loose, get a little bit more uh, outside or or beyond the first defender, and that just really wasn't the case. It was really really solid from Utah, and I think they are asserting themselves as. Uh, among a, a very impressive Pac-12, I should say, um, as hey, we're we're still the champs here, and and we've got what it takes to to beat anyone. Um, that said, Rice Eccles Stadium is a great place to play, and they have a wonderful home field advantage there. Um, really, really awesome environment to watch. But th- there's the the ugliness on the Florida side, but the Utah side, there's a lot to be excited for in Salt Lake City. Well, I was so kind of impressed with is that they did it so shorthanded you mentioned everyone wants to go into week one healthy well utah didn't they didn't they had tons of people out tons of starters and not just starters but but all stars their quarterback brant keithy two guys uh, o'toole along the defensive line and tafuna are both out like that that was to me very impressive that they dominated the line of scrimmage without two of their major contributors on the defensive line uh, and the offensive output, while maybe not super impressive, clearly was enough uh, without your starting quarterback, without your all conference tight end. I was very impressed. And the nice thing is, Hey, they got, they have a week to get healthy because they're going to play Baylor. Like who apparently isn't much like, so like if anyone needs an extra week, no problem. Um, so I, I was just, yeah, that one to me was surprising. I loved, I don't know if anyone else had a thought on the, the two QB system. Ah, oh, man, it's fun to watch. Like I, I go back to, and I'm going to totally forget Doug Johnson and someone else for, for UF in 1997 played Florida state and they kept swapping out. I can't remember who the other quarterback was, but they, they kept, was it Danny Warfel? It might've been Danny Warfel. Yeah, uh, as I said, it was it 97 or 96? I can't remember. It was one of those years. Um, it was, I think, ahead of Warfel winning the Heisman. But could have, could have been Noah Brindis? I don't think so. Okay. But maybe. You, I mean, you, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. That's I've what my Google that search game. says, but, it, you know. Oh, well, that, I, mean, I didn't that watch it. I was, I was two years old. I just remember them swapping out. Well, I mean, and I watched it on replay a few years back, but so it's more fresh in my memory and I don't remember the names. I just remember how well integrated they were. I hadn't really seen a two QB system work like that 
up until this last week, which was really, really impressive that they kind of had the right finger on the pulse of both of those players, gave them opportunities to play to their strengths, but then also came with a couple tendency breakers that caught uh, UF off guard. Yeah, yeah. I, I liked Barnes. I thought he was hot for a while, and then they, they decided to put in uh, Nate. What's the kid's last name? I don't know. Johnson. Nate Johnson. And I felt like it cooled Barnes off a little bit, which is kind of unfortunate, but still, like, it did give that change of pace, that change of tempo a little bit. And then when your non-running quarterback scores a running touchdown, you got to be happy about that. <laughs> I also think we've, we've talked a lot about, like, running back tandems and running back rooms in the offseason. And uh, is it M- Micah or Makai Bernard? Um, it's pronounced Mackay. Mackay, okay. Mackay <laughs> and Jaquin and Jackson are also a great tandem because Jaquin and Jackson didn't have a great game, honestly, no. in this one. Uh, it was Bernard who had the hot hand, and, and it's like, well, it, you know, you, you don't have any problem if one of them has the hot hand, but they both deliver something a little bit different, and they're tough backs to take down. They hit the hole hard. Um, so that's one I had mentioned as well. I, I haven't paid as much attention to, to the Whispers out of Salt Lake City. I talked to Steve, and he said apparently – the beat writers are all over this, but their freshman wide receiver Matthews, five eight, got got a lot of wiggle to him. A uh, real shifty guy. Yeah. D- didn't have any wild plays there, but had those, you know, just those flashes of, oh, that's that's going to be special in a little bit, and he he might do some special things before this season's done. Now, I, I joked with I joked with Brian when we were watching the game together. I was like, he's going to be an awesome receiver for USC next year. Like. <laughs> <laughs> and for the record, Steve, it was Doug Johnson and Noah Brindisi. Like Brian. Okay, thank yep. you. Um, well, I, I guess like maybe we'll go from that game, unless there's other thoughts on it, we'll, we'll move on. Um, did anyone have a big take on Nebraska, Minnesota? I have a couple thoughts. I don't know if anyone else really watched that game. If not, I can make this short and sweet. Um, so I, Jeff Sims is Jeff Sims of old. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, costly turnovers. The, the big one is the one that leads straight to the game-winning field goal. You know, Nebraska should be driving down to try and get a win of their own. It's all tied up at that point in the game. And you know, worst-case scenario is uh, we run out of time, punt it away, and they've got one Hill Mary. No. Interception down the middle, and and Minnesota's coming at you the other way. My thought is, uh, Nebraska, sorry, you're still losing close. Like, <laughs> new, new coach, same script. You lost by three, and, and because of stupid things that you did at the end of the game. Um, the catch, uh, I'm going to get the name real quick. Uh, Daniel, no, Daniel Jackson? I'm losing my notes. The catch to tie it up uh, in the end zone. Wow. There, there, are, there are two plays really close to each other. One where he very nearly gets his foot down uh, in the back of the end zone, makes a wild catch. The second one, crazy awareness, just to, to keep dragging that foot, to keep that other leg up long enough incredible play um he, he had an excellent game overall but that one right there i mean as a nebraska fan you got to feel snake bitten because that ball was thrown you know the quarterback did not mean to lead it that far out, out to the edge you know like he probably let that go and goes oh no i've just just doomed our our you know because that was the final play or not final play but final chance they had to get in the end zone there i've just doomed our ability to to make this comeback happen and Gets the full stretch, uh, a really, really impressive play, and a real reason to feel snake bitten as a Cornhuskers fan. Until you throw the interception, you go, oh, "Maybe we deserve this." The, okay, one more question about this game. I, yeah, I feel like we we kind of covered this one. Like, it's kind of an ugly game. You know, kind of what I expected in terms of what it would be. Thought that the crowd might play a factor. I feel like it did, but 
as a Nebraska fan, would you feel worse having watched that loss or having watched that loss and then seen Colorado play and know you got them next? That was the kicker. <laughs> well, especially with all the talk. Yeah, with Matt Matt Rule popping his mouth off and, and Dion's not one to uh to take that sitting down or take that lying down. Uh, so I am very intrigued to watch that game play out and probably more intrigued to watch press conferences after it plays out from whoever wins Colorado. <laughs> uh, speaking of Colorado, uh, that, that's the next one on our docket, Colorado TCU. I feel like I already kind of gave my thoughts on this game or at least the, the high-level ones. Um, Corey, did you have any anything else you wanted to add on that one? Yeah, I would love to go, go into detail on this one. I watched this one again uh, for a second time as well. Um, just first off, like, these two teams played at a hectic pace. It is so fast. There is no sitting uh, like sitting down. There is no huddles. It is just go, 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 go. And these offenses were kind of fun to watch. Um, speaking of little chips on your shoulder, Dion talks about how Shadur Sanders was had a chip on his shoulder because Kendall Bryles didn't really pay much attention. He was kind of dismissive when he was at Florida State as the OC, and that Shadur wanted to beat him. Well, beat him he did. I got to say, I am very, very impressed with Shadur Sanders this, this game. They split out four or five wide and said, our playmakers are going to get open, and Shadur is going to find people to find opportunities to get them open. He's a, he's a very agile, very mobile quarterback, but has 100% the intention to pass the ball and doesn't look to run the ball very often. And he found those open players. It, it's almost a little bit like he's played in this a similar offense, like in high school and in at Jackson State, because that's really kind of what they ran in, in Texas Christian. Christian, what is that? What is that? The high school, high school is that. I used to watch the high school games with him. But when his dad Dion was there, they ran a widespread thing. So he's used to kind of getting these widespread reads. Um, so he, he they did. I mean, four players over a hundred yards. They only had two over 100 yards in the last year, and they had four players over 100 yards in that game. Uh, kind of crazy. Uh, Dion got out of the way of his of his uh, offensive coordinators. Uh, Sean Lewis p- called a great game. Um, really adjusted to TCU as they were going on, and made it made a great call on fourth and two um, to 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 make him go for to, for a touchdown. Um, they got they put the ball in their playmakers' hands. That's one of the things I was really impressed about. It was like just get the ball in your playmakers' hands and let them go to work. Um, don't try to do too much, and they they didn't do too much. The last thing I was gonna say was like I don't think I'm a fan of Dion. I think the brashness is kind of crazy, but like it's working. He has connections with those players, and it's being successful. And his confidence of kind of like I know who I am. I don't care what you think I am. I know who I am. Is exactly how his team played that yesterday or a few days ago, they knew who they were. They were confident in who they were, and they didn't care what you thought. They were going to show you what who they were. Um, this offense is good enough to outscore this defense. I have them nine games winning this year, and I think this is the perfect team to beat USC. Like, to pick on that pass. It'll be a track mate, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> USC tends to beat itself occasionally on a few different plays, and I think this team can get enough stops that they can beat USC. It'll be interesting. Yeah, I have one, them one. Oregon. Oregon State and Utah this year, but other than that, after seeing, you know, the first game, I'm like, I don't want to be too overreactive, but this one, I'm like, I don't think I am being overreactive. I think this offense is that good. And what do we think about uh, number twelve for Heisman? I mean, it's a frenetic pace that he's on. Like, I, I don't know if you can. 
play that many snaps without getting some sort of soft tissue injury week in and week out. So I wonder if he maybe takes a couple of games where he's, you know, where the little load management maybe in the games where there isn't much of a chance or where if the game gets out of hand, you just say, okay, we're, we're down 21. We can't, we can't make this comeback, rest up and get ready for next week. But yeah, a uh, hundred plus yards receiving and an interception. Uh, wow. And like wow. at what, 119 uh, plays played or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, I mean, that interception is an incredible play. Um, in a vital moment, you know, like that stops the touchdown from going in. That's one of those interceptions that was the difference. You know, a, a couple, um, Chad, Mor- Chad Morris, is that the right <laughs> right first name? Chandler Chandler. Morris. A uh, couple Chandler Morris interceptions kind mm-hmm. of make the difference in this game ultimately. Um, and that, that was a big one and a big moment. When you have four wide receivers with over 100 yards receiving, that's a really, really good game. But also that sends a message to your next opponent of like, you you choose which one you want to leave one on one. Like we 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 don't have one. We've got several, and we're very confident in them. And we are we're you know we're gonna get the ball to them, and you better have enough guys to guard it. Um, and I know some people have talked about um, kind of strong link versus weak link uh, systems, where strong link being like a like a a backfield. Your strongest running back elevates your backfield really significantly. But then you have weak link systems like an offensive line, where it's like oh if your left tackle's terrible. You can exploit that. Secondary is one of those things uh, where if you have a bad corner or a bad safety and you can isolate them one-on-one at any point, you can exploit it. And when you have four different targets that you're going to, um, and they have more than that, but you know, four that went for over 100 yards in the, in the first game, it's really pick your poison. You know, we'll, we'll beat you however you want us to beat you. Um, I think the defense is a cause for concern, um, but I think highlighting that USC game is the exact uh, the exact game that you'd want to, because it's very similar, you know, in, in what we see from those teams is a quarterback who's pretty electric. He's not as much of a runner as uh, Shador is not as much a runner, I'd say as Caleb Williams is. Um, but, you know, he, he's mobile enough to extend plays so he can get the ball out to his wide receivers. Um, and there's a lot of playmakers on both of those teams. I very impressed with Colorado and, and I'm starting to, you know, I'm I'm not a Dion fan either, but I'm starting to really respect the uh, pissing everyone off and making it us against the world type of mentality. Because if you're in, like, and everybody's against you, then your inside is going to have to be really, really strong. You know, nobody's jumping on. I mean, you have some people jumping on Colorado bandwagon. Some people have been naysayers for the past year. Um, me being one of them, who would have said, "I don't think this is. I don't think this is going to pan out." Um, and now it's like, okay, that that's all outside noise. Everybody's against us, then we've got to be super strong together. And that team is really, really strong together. Um, yeah, the, the, the scary thing is, is if this team becomes a 9-10 win season team, watch out for Dion on the recruiting trail. Good night. Oh, yeah, like Y'all. a madman. It'll they be will be nuts. there. Colorado will be back at the top and fighting for, for titles. Like, that's yeah. scary. Yeah, you'll have top recruits in the Southeast and in California and in Texas going, I would like my college years to be spent in Boulder, Colorado. You know, and they would do it without without hesitation because look look at what's going on right now. The other thing I'll say is, uh, and this is kind of echoing the point that Corey made, but a great job of letting his coordinators do their thing. One real knock I had from Jackson State last year, um, and I didn't watch him hardly at all. I watched their, their championship game at the end, and I just watched him and said, this team – 
is not organized. Like they don't know how to run a two minute drill. They are letting precious seconds tick off at times. There's times where you should obviously be running up and spiking it. And they're all staring over at the line to see what, which of the call be. Um, it looked like there were some things that were just not drilled super well. And that is not the case. You cannot run at that fast pace if you are not drilled incredibly well. Um, and very, very, very impressive first display. Nebraska, I'm sorry. Um, it's going to be tough. I don't think you're going to, as as bad as I think Colorado's defense could possibly be, I don't think they're going to give up too many points to Nebraska still. Um, yeah, and, and I if you're think in that's a betting be... state, go put some money on on Colorado because the line's like three. <laughs> yeah. I think it's yeah low. <laughs> it's it's a it's a good time to make some cash there. All right, um, let's move on. I, a couple of these I think are just kind of maybe maybe sort of one liners. Texas Rice. Did anyone else see? some of that game or is that just me okay cool well i'll be quick here uh, jt daniels i think is the first college journeyman quarterback at rice uh played texas in three different uniforms uh you know there's not a ton to say here although texas to me just didn't look super polished and i don't know if that was like oh we're trying to hide things for in anticipation of playing bama next week but to me, it's like Bama knows like everything that Sarkeesian's going to do. Like he was there for years, so um, that to me was perhaps maybe not the encouraging sign that Longhorns fans were looking for. Ultimately, they do end up stretching out that lead and and winning by a comfortable margin. But I, I may be a little bit more concerned. I would have guessed heading into this season, I would have said, okay, I expect the Longhorns to win that game. I think I even went on record here on the pod saying, I think Texas will win that game. I, based on what I saw from Texas and what I saw from Bama this week, uh, um, may, you know, I'm, I'm probably upgrading what I think of Bama and downgrading slightly what I think of Texas. Uh, but I'm sure that, you know, the best part is we'll get to settle it on the field in just a few days. But I don't know, Texas, that's maybe not sound the alarm bells, but like, oh, it made me raise an eyebrow that they weren't able to uh, put away Rice sooner uh, and had some uh, some drives that ended in field goals and drives that ended in uh, in punts that I felt like they had opportunities to, to light up that scoreboard a little bit more. Yeah, I feel the like one thing I'll add, I, I didn't – sorry, Corey. Right. Uh, the one thing I'll add, and I didn't get to, to watch the whole game, but I got to watch snippets here and there, is that Quinn Ewers looked like late-season Quinn Ewers, not early-season Quinn Ewers from 2022. Um, and a lot of the things that we talked about late is like, well, he's been battling through injuries. Um, should should be healthy as far as I'm aware. And so there are some things where it's just like, I don't know if this is just week one jitters, but he's going to need to be who we saw last year against Alabama if they they hope to knock off the Crimson Tide in week two. Agreed. Yeah. I also, though, think that this is something that we saw from a lot of teams. They struggled in that first half and then kind of pulled it together in the second half. You look at Ohio State. You look at uh, Wisconsin. We'll talk about them in a second. We look at Texas. There's a few teams that kind of like just struggled with teams that they shouldn't have struggled and then put them away eventually. So, And even that TCU-Colorado uh, game, the score was like 14-14 at half, or 17-14 at half, and then it ended up being like 45-42. So. <laughs> True. True. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll see. Yeah, it's true. It's hard to read too much into that first week as it's, you know, the first opportunity to kind of get the rust off when it comes to playing and the mechanics of playing in a stadium with referees, down markers, 
you know, looking to the sideline for the call, all those things. But uh, just 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 some some intrigue heading into a, what is a major week for Texas. Uh, Wisconsin opened up the Luke Fickle era with Buffalo, and I, I caught glimpses of this game. I don't know if anyone has seen like the, it in its entirety. Um, okay, no, I'll, I'll give a couple quick quick blurbs here again. I, I think people were surprised that Phil Longo was able to to run the ball and run the ball successfully with both. Um, oh goodness, I'm blanking on the running back's name. Braylon Allen. Braylon Allen, thank you. Um, and Chez Malusi, C H E Z, Chez Malusi. I was one that you know I, I still think that the offense looked a little shaky, particularly throwing the football, but. Phil Longo, when he was at North Carolina, had 2,000-yard backs when he had really special running backs. And so I think he'll get dialed in. Um, Tanner Mordecai, I, I maybe am not totally sold on him as a QB, but I, I think that that's going to end up getting better. But I think people out of one week maybe thought, oh, that looks a little shaky against Buffalo. That one's one I'm, I'm more confident that they'll be able to at least turn the offense around. Again, I, I shared my thoughts on – Wisconsin as a whole, where I, I like it long term. I maybe don't love it in year one, but one thing I'm confident in is they'll they'll find ways to get points. Uh, and, and they've got two really strong running backs, and Phil Longo has proven the ability to get the most out of whatever the talent and personnel he has at his disposal is, is talented and gifted at doing. So I just. That one to one, that one for people for Wisconsin fans, I think was maybe closer than they had hoped, and, and maybe didn't show all the offense that they had uh, maybe expected when Phil Longo was announced as that offensive coordinator. I think that's going to be just fine. The, I mean, by just fine, I'm still kind of in that Wisconsin's probably an eight and four football team, maybe nine and three if everything breaks your way, uh, but. I don't know. I just think that that one's one where there's going to be some kinks to work out, but I, I love that he's got weapons at his disposal uh, in the backfield and he's willing to deploy them and, and kind of adapt his scheme to fit the personnel. We can move, we can move quick. <laughs> Sorry. There's a couple games that I wanted to uh, Louisville, Georgia tech boy, was this one just like off the charts, like where one team takes a couple of, series to dominate and then it shifts over it wasn't quite quarter by quarter but like um this one was uh this one was all over the place my takeaways from this like all right louisville took a while to get it going but uh kevin coleman is the real deal we knew that uh and it's going to be exciting to see him continue to just kind of get more comfortable in jeff brahm's system Uh, the other thing that i had was haynes king like they (laughs) Was he just, uh, did he have the ankle weights on at Texas A&M where he just couldn't do things because the scheme prevented him from being more of a playmaker? I, I can't wait pretty impressed. I feel better about Georgia Tech and their ability to maybe not, you know, I think they're maybe a bowl team at best, but I mean, no one who has them on the schedule is going to be able to just say, okay, well, we can sit all of our starters if they're, if they're injured because Georgia Tech has the ability to just, you know, jump up and bite you if you're if you're not careful so i was encouraged in in uh, brent key's first game as the jackets head coach i was gonna say like that second quarter was one of the prettiest games to watch from a georgia tech perspective like 
They oh, almost yeah. could do no wrong in the second quarter. I think the only thing that they did, they let up one touchdown and they could they missed a field goal as time wound down because they picked a ball off of five seconds left. But that second quarter was just pretty ball. But in the end, I mean, Brian Brom, Brian Brom, Jeff Brom, Jeff. Brian Jeff. Brom. I think is on staff, but Jeff is the <laughs> Jeff Brom's team. Uh, you guys already knew I was kind of rooting against Louisville and Jeff Brom. His coaching prowess and, and superiority on that was better than than Georgia Tech's, and they found a way to win the game easily at the end. Well, easily. Yeah. It's, it's closer. I, it looks closer than it was because Georgia Tech scored at the very end. But, but I think the. The Yellow Jackets should be encouraged for what they saw. Um, oh, yeah. Speci- especially at the quarterback position. To me, Hanks King, like, I- I'd watched him at Texas A&M, and I was like, this guy's not going to do anything. And he proved me wrong immediately. Um, was was very impressive uh, through big stretches of that game. You, you go into the fourth, and I think they're leading, headed into the fourth quarter over Louisville, who I expected to win by double digits. Um, you know, you, you don't get the win, which is really what you, you value. You want your wins at the end of the day. But... Uh, I have an improved perspective on uh, on I'm not Louisville, Georgia Tech, and what they can be throughout the season. Uh, and I think Louisville is just going to be fun to watch this year. Um, they've got a couple good playmakers. Plummer kind of settled in towards the in, in the second half. Really, they had pretty pretty the offense was rolling pretty well. I'd like to finish a lot more drives in touchdowns rather than field goals, but driving down the field um, certainly. So could could be a, an exciting season to watch from Louisville and. Georgia Tech, maybe maybe there's something here for the future. Maybe maybe this coach might have you in the right direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited to see how many of these week one storylines end up panning out. Uh, we talked about this last year, but the Kenny Kenny Hill principle applies still where, you know, it's it's week one. No one's a Heisman favorite. No one's a playoff contender that, you know, beat someone that, uh, yeah, like Duke's not a playoff contender because they beat number nine. Because that was exactly what happened when they A and M beat number nine South Carolina, and then proceeded, I think, to go seven and six on the year. So um, we're uh, we're at that point where a lot of conclusions are being jumped to. Uh, but if there's one game where I would say I want to jump to conclusions on both teams, it's North Carolina South Carolina. Uh, I, I again, I think Corey and I we briefly previewed this game. I did say I was like I like North Carolina to win. I like them to cover. Of course, covering was like two and a half, so it's kind of almost to that point where it's like possible, but like not likely to get a win, but not cover. Uh, and this was way more comfortable than I thought it would be. Uh, so I I don't know if anyone wants to take the lead on this one. If not, I can. Um, but I feel I like I'm talking a lot. Yeah, I don't. Oh, yeah, go jump in. So I think I'm higher on UNC and South Carolina than you are, Steve. On both of them, correct? Right? Yes. Um, I think the de- I just expected the defense to get a little bit better. They showed that they could rush the passer. I think there was like nine sacks in this game, um, mm-hmm. with six different players shooting sacks. So well done. And they bottled up the rush. That was the biggest thing. Is and now South Carolina's offensive line. We'll see how it goes. Like poor. It could potentially be very poor, but it was poor against UNC. Uh. They rushed – we're going to include sacks in here, right? 31 times for negative two yards. If you take out the sack yardage, you're still at, like, 18 yards total. Like, it it, it was not good. <laughs> um, and, and just a, a, an issue for them. And that's really, I think, the, the difference is. This UNC team, we know the offense has a power. Um, the team didn't lose this game because of Spencer Rattler. He went 30 and 39 for 353 yards and no touchdowns, no interceptions. 
But they didn't lose that game because of them. They lost this game because they could not rush it, and they had become one-dimensional. And it all sat on Spencer Rattler's arm. And, well, when that happens, you can sit four or five back and just rush the passer and let Amari Gaynor go get him, you know? Yeah, and I think you look at this in contrast with last year. You won, and Drake May didn't have a, a fantastic day. I don't think that was possible last year. Not not against a single opponent. Um, you know, they have App State again next week, and that was a crazy game last year because the defense couldn't do anything to, to stop App State. This defense looks like, at the very least, they have a pulse. They might be pretty decent, um, especially on the on the, the front up there. So that and if you get, you know, the, the level of play that you got on average from Drake May last season, this could be a pretty formidable team. Uh, ceiling decently high is what I'd say. They're, they're still not a, a sure thing to blow out uh, many teams that play, but this is a pretty dominant performance. Uh, I know it's only a 14-point win, but it's 14, is that right? 31 to 17? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but if you watch the game, it was very evident who was controlling it and, and where it was headed from you know, pretty early on to me. So really impressive performance um, and, and good statement for the ACC as a whole. Um, who has not had many of w- many wins like this in in recent years? Yeah, and can we shout out Kaiman Kaiman Rucker, the linebacker from from NC State or North Carolina? Eight tackles, five and a half for a loss, two t- sacks. Like he was just unleashed, and he dominated. Like that that that's a stat line any linebacker would be happy to have. <laughs> Good night. Yeah. Uh, my thing is like when I think North Carolina and just like stereotyping UNC as a whole, not as a football program, like like physically imposing is not one of the phrases that would go through my head. It would be like you know like sweater tied around the neck if I was like you know, but that would be probably the first one. Be careful, Mike might be listening to this, <laughs> and and he would confirm that that's correct. If I don't know if you remember, like Philip Rivers, I'm going to go off on a quick tangent here. Philip Rivers talked about the rivalry between NC State and UNC, and he's like, if you have a person in a bar and you've got a, a UNC guy walks in with his sweater around his neck and his khaki shorts, and he sees a NC State fan in a tank top and jean shorts, there's going to be a fight. Clear the room. Like, uh, and it's just like perfect in one sentence kind of summarizes exactly what those two are all about. Like, like the, the difference in, um, you know, kind of just attitude and, and, and I hate to say like class, but, you know, just, just different walks of life a- for anytime... NC State and UNC. Anytime you're incorporating Argyle into your uniforms, you, you know Bingo. exactly what you're going for. <laughs> but they were the most physical team. Like, they played tough. They, like you said, they won, I felt like, both lines of scrimmage. Um, the offense did not take a step back, which I was concerned about. So, uh, and was missing their two best wide receivers. So, it, I think there's room for improvement even. So, We'll have to see. Like again, this is one that it will be fun to to watch moving forward. But that was a really good data point in my perspective for North Carolina to say, okay, I probably didn't give them enough credit heading into this off season, where there were some unknowns around Drake May, including the weapons and the coordinator. I feel like we got some answers, um, or there may be incomplete answers, but something to to work with now. And I feel better about their prospects for the rest of the year than I did heading into the season. Uh, and South Carolina, I feel like, no, I, I think I nailed them. Like I thought there might be trouble in paradise and uh, 
we'll see what happens going forward. Shane Beamer has, has you know, exceeded expectations as far as like out, winning more than their win totals uh, ha, have been projected for the last two years. I think I might be in trouble this year. We'll, we'll have to see. All right, couple couple more. We'll go do uh, two more from uh, from Saturday, and then we'll move through the rest of the weekend. Um, Wyoming, Texas Tech. This game was wild. I don't know if you guys watched this. I didn't watch like I, there, there's like parts of the game that I didn't quite catch, but I, I saw that Texas Tech was up seventeen nothing and stopped paying attention. Frankly, I was like, okay, all right, it looks like they're rolling. Um, and then all of a sudden, it's it's a dogfight down the stretch. Goes to overtime, and I was like, okay, I got I got to move back to this game. <laughs> have to go see what's going on in Laramie. And uh, man, uh, that is not a fun place to play. If you are, I mean, it's not maybe the most intimidating environment, but it's I mean, everyone in the state of Wyoming was in that stadium, and the air is thin, and you think that Texas Tech. Mate, what happened in your your eyes? What happened, Brian? I don't know if you saw that game. I don't want to put too much on you. Sorry if I no. So so I I'm, I'll admittedly say I was I was a highlights person on this one, not a full game <laughs> watcher. Um, but to me, what it looked like was just kind of a a shift in intensity. Um, where that's what I was gonna say. It, it was it was like they came out pumped, but like uh, we're all UFC fans here. Occasionally you see a guy come out in the first round and he just wastes every bit of energy he has and then he's lagging for the rest of the fight. Um, and I think that's kind of what happened here. I mean, I, I don't think literally that they were fatigued, but I think there was some uh, emotional, maybe adrenaline dump uh, that could have happened where they came out and kind of bullied to start and then were unable to match that same energy that they came out with. And Wyoming just stuck around, chipped away, chipped away. Um, you know, at the end, they have some time on the clock where potentially you're thinking, well, the way this has gone, maybe they're going to drive down the field real quick and get a, a good yeah. game winner before, you know, in, in regulation, in, in, uh, in the 60 minutes. I'm using soccer terms in my head, trying to translate them to football. Um, but, uh, and then once you've allowed things to go to overtime, then, it, you know, all, all bets are off. Um, you get to that point, you're in Wyoming. So like everything's kind of against you at that point and it's coin flippy, but leans to me, leans to the home team. So, um, anyway, I, I'll, I'll leave it to other people who had better insight into that game as a whole, but not, not a good start for, for Joey McGuire. Yeah. I know Steve's a big fan of this team and thinks that they'll be on the right direction. I think this is just like, you couldn't quite put it together. It's, it was interesting because, like, this team just kind of struggled a little bit. Even towards the end, you got a blocked field goal, a missed field goal, and you couldn't quite get down to the red zone like you you were doing earlier in the game. Um, and it's unfortunate you didn't convert a two-point conversion to win the game, or to tie the game at least. Uh, I know that Wisconsin, or, uh, Wyoming scored it afterwards, but you missed it originally, so. Yeah, I you guys covered a lot of what I wanted to say on this one. It's just... This is to me what makes college football fun is that you see like, oh man, people are super passionate about it in Wyoming and know that this is a big opportunity for them to have a nice, have a win that they can hang their hats on. And yeah, it's that, that to me is one of the things that makes it really fun is that 
any environment can become an intimidating environment if it's a close game to the into the fourth. Yeah, and that's one of the things I think about this running clock going on. It's making games a little bit closer. Um, if you don't start off well or you have a pad section, you're not going to be able to recover from it as easily, and you have put yourself in potential danger. We've seen that with like a lot of games started off 14, 14, 14, 17, whatever else. But if you have a stretch where you're not good, you have a third quarter where you only get the ball once or twice, and you only you go three and out twice in a row. You're in some trouble. And like this is kind of the same thing. Like they just had a bad kind of batch of like was it the fourth quarter's bad? Uh, I mean I'm looking at this stuff real quick. Looking through it real quick. I think yeah, it's like a bad few quarters, and you're screwed. Yeah, I guess we really haven't talked about the the, the changes to the clock. I, I felt like in some games I noticed it, but in others I didn't. Uh, mostly, I, I think it just kind of depends because I, I think Utah, for example, in the second half didn't have a whole lot going offensively, but I think that was by design. I think they were just like, we're good to get, I mean, as many first downs as we can get. I'd rather get, you know, five yards and a first down than 50 yards and potentially give Florida the ball back. Yeah, but I also um, feel like there wasn't enough time for Florida to even recover from their poor first half. Like they were down twenty four to three. It's like good luck getting fourteen or or even more points on the board. They only that is true. Yeah. No, I, so that 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 is a good point. Like just something that maybe we'll just kind of keep monitoring going forward. Like how many, you know, two plus touchdown comebacks do we see this year compared to years past where the the, the rules have been different? I wonder if we maybe make a tracker for that. I can I can take the lead on that. Um, Sounds good. But, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be fun. But yeah, Texas Tech, uh, disappointing start. Uh, as as you guys know, I'm I'm a Texas Tech. You know, I'm not like a diehard, but I, I, there's a soft spot in in my heart for for that program. Uh, have a big opportunity to bounce back this week against Oregon. I wonder, did they rep too much Oregon? Heading into this, do they maybe try and think like, okay, we'll, we'll, we're going to win? Uh, when you said Brian, like a cha- shift in intensity, part of me thought like they thought, oh, we got this sewn up, uh, up seventeen nothing, moving the ball, getting stops, and 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 just didn't couldn't carry that to to the finish line. Well, and momentum's um, such a heavy thing in football, where once you've allowed your opponent to get going, like it's not that easy to just stop them when they hit a rhythm. You know, that's that that's one of the difficult things. It's like you kind of. Uh, have have to slam the door when you can, because otherwise, you let up a bit, and and people will take all the confidence, and they'll start to become the best versions of themselves in that game. Definitely, definitely. Um, one more quick one from Saturday. Uh, I actually don't know what time this, what time slot this is, so it may not be in chronological order. Uh, but uh, Texas State asserting themselves on the scene in the Lone Star State goes into Waco. And uh, throttles the Bears. Who I I don't know if I've ever seen a Bobcat beat a Bear, but I guess a pack of Bobcats can take on the Bears and and walk out victorious. And uh, you know Blake Shapen got hurt in that game. Did not matter. Uh, they were losing ahead of that, but it might make the next little bit even worse for the Baylor Bears. Um, yeah, I'm wondering if Dave Aranda is thinking, you know what, after we were in that Big 12 championship game where we won the title and kept Oklahoma State a yard short from getting into the playoff, maybe I should have taken a different job, got a big pay raise, and found, 
found some greener pastures. Uh, I, I didn't see much of this game at all. So I, I just wanted to more mention it than anything else. But like that was surprising. Yeah, and, and maybe another situation of, hey, we're repping for the week uh, ahead. Baylor's got Utah uh, coming up this next week, and Utah's licking their chops right now. This is a uh, you know looking very inviting to to go take care of business. Uh, I think it's in um, in Waco. Texas in Waco. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is what I mean. Baylor outgained Texas State. They just really weren't finishing on drives, um, and Texas State was. They were leading throughout this entire game. Um, there was a there, they being Baylor playing catch up all all second half. Uh, most of the first half as well, um, and then a couple costly turnovers as they're trying in their in their comeback bid to get there. Overall, this is a really bad week for the Big Twelve. Uh, you have Oof. this loss. You have Texas Tech, TCU to Colorado. Uh, your newcomer BYU only beat Sam Houston State fourteen to zero. Not what you were hoping for. Uh, Texas takes a second to get off the mark. Just a, a tough week overall for the conference. Um, of course, you know, the TCU-Colorado thing's maybe may a little double-edged because Colorado's coming next year, but uh, we've talked about the Pac-12 and how they started off uh, in, in a pretty strong way. ACC as well. SEC and, and Big 12s, rough week one to start. I'm just going to say my Oklahoma team that I picked to win the Big 12 did great. Looking good. <laughs> Both quarterbacks looking good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had I had a list of we're not going to go through every game this week, but I had a list of teams that was just like, yeah, they they took care of business. They did what I expected to do. It was you know Oklahoma, USC, uh, Miami, Georgia. You know, th- there was a lot of people on, but Oklahoma really, really yeah. executed well. Seventy three points with this clock. You have Oregon that dropped eighty one with this clock. That's insane. Both of those two scores are unreal. Crazy, crazy, yeah. Some some numbers that were basketball scores, at least for one team. Uh, but, uh, all right, we're done with Saturday. Let's go to Sunday. Um, I'm gonna take two seconds and talk about Oregon State first. Uh, yeah, love what they're doing. Love what they're doing. DJU, uh, twenty of twenty five. I think one rushing touchdown, three touchdowns passing. Is that correct? I don't have those numbers right in front of me. Either way, just being utilized, being asked to do what the system calls for. Um, it's yeah, comparing what they did versus San Jose State with what USC did is kind of interesting. <laughs> uh, again, it's maybe not the be all end all that whole uh, transitive property in football never really fully works, but um, it's just it's interesting to see. Um, Love what they're doing. Damian Martinez is a workhorse of a back. Uh, excited to see what Oregon can State can do and really hope they find a home for 2024. Um, so that's that's all I had to say on that one. I don't know if anyone had anything there. I, it's not even on our notes. I just figured I'd do that one before we talk about the real game. Three touchdown passes, two rushing touchdowns. So Oh, two rushing. Even yeah, and I'll say – Killed it. <laughs> uh, there, there was a lot of talk on Twitter between that game on Sunday and the game that happened on Monday of maybe we owe DJU an apology, but we'll we'll get there. <laughs> all right, all right. Before we do, there's a little teaser. Um, yeah, had to wear the FSU hat. Had to let everyone know what time it is. Wow, that was crazy. Um, 
I remember we used to have this uh, Sports Illustrated Year in Sports 1993 uh, videotape, which recapped all the sports that happened that year. And at one point, Charles Barkley is talking about his – he plays for the Suns, and it, it was in the first round of the NBA playoffs where he just says, it's an emotional up-and-down roller coaster. And that's what I felt with the LSU-FSU game. Like, LSU starts the game – like. Couldn't have started it better, right? That first play was that wheel route to their running back. I think it went 60-something yards. Um, immediately, you know, had them in scoring position. They get down to what, I think, the two-yard line. And Florida State bows up, plays plays really strong goal line defense and short yardage defense kind of throughout this game. They, I felt like, okay, if they need to get two yards, LSU probably ain't going to get it. Um, and Man, uh, it went from, okay, LSU is moving the ball and we're getting bailed out by a couple of drops to regrouping at halftime. Uh, and obviously Keon Coleman catching everything thrown his way outside of the first two, I should say. But like catching, uh, you know, a deep pass to get the Knolls out of, you know, they're deep in their own territory. They're stuck on their 10 after a punt. They hit a bomb that takes them all the way to midfield, uh, explosive after the catch. There was all kinds of fireworks in this game. And, I, you know, I, I went on record. I don't know if I went on record on this pod. If not, I definitely have witnesses, so I'm happy to call those in if anyone needs it. But I, I ahead of this, I said, I think I could see either one of these. Like, I could see LSU winning by 20 points. I could see FSU winning by 20 points and any outcome in between those. Um and yeah, we got the extreme uh, on the Florida State side. I'm pumped, as, obviously, as an FSU fan, but wanted to open it up to y'all. What were your big takeaways on on the game? I'll go next. Um, one, I, that first half is was it looked like a rerun of the of the previous Florida State LSU game from 2022, where both teams kind of making sloppy mistakes, another muff punt. Florida State nauseatingly still can't score any points off of a muff punt. They immediately throw the ball back to the LSU. Jordan <laughs> Travis has, uh, if you watched him last year, he had one of his worst halves of football in, in a while. Um, and that you know, he still has 14 points, has a couple passing touchdowns, but he not only has that interception, he has one where he jumps up in the air and just like lofts it into the middle of the field. And uh, I think it was Omar Spates who gets a hand to it but can't catch it. But if he just didn't touch it, then Harold Perkins would have caught it. Uh, and and would have certainly been and an would have walked into the end zone easily, easily. So yeah. so both teams get let off the hook on, on a couple occasions. Uh, like you mentioned, LSU they get to the one or two yard line on their first drive, but because of a penalty, they really have six chances from within the five to score a touchdown. Aren't able to get in, um, and I think that that showed up over and over again. Both defensive lines showed out really well in the first half, um, and I think what we saw in the second half is. Uh, two things. One, Florida State stopped having stupid penalties. They they shot themselves in the foot on several occasions in the first half. Um, but two, we saw an adjustment made by Florida State's offense to run the ball. Um, they couldn't get the run game going in the first half. In the second half, they started switching up the formation. They're still running counter, but they're doing it with a two-back set, uh, letting Jaheim Bell be in the backfield with um, with Trey Benson. And having the threat of a run uh, made a whole lot of difference. And Florida State, once they got rolling, 
Uh, a lot of credit was given on the broadcast to Mark Novell and his play calling. I think it's due. I think he he really called it an incredible second half there. They score on every drive except for the the kneel that they do at the end of the to, to end the game off. I I'm curious how this game goes if you don't have so many drop passes on both sides. Um, Florida State yeah. had had their fair share in the first half. Um, Lacey for LSU had just a game to forget. And he had no problem getting open and finding, you know, himself into good positions. And a lot of balls hit his hands or hit a hand uh, that I thought, yeah, he should be bringing that in. And potentially if he catches that, he might have 20 yards to run. So there's some errors there. I I still think pretty highly of LSU. I think they have some good things that they can do. But you have to say, in the end, Florida State was winning on both lines by the end of the game. Uh, They were winning on the O-line. Once they got the lead, now Jaden Daniels is a passer. Now you can contain, you can go after him. Uh, and they got some sacks down the stretch. Uh, the last thing I'll say on, well, for at least this little bit, I'm sure we'll go back and forth a bit, but you've got to wonder here if Nussmeyer might have been the right call here. Um, you don't usually want to go between quarterbacks throughout a season, but like, there's a very clear higher ceiling quarterback uh, between these two. And Nussmeyer gives you a little bit of crazy where you're like, he's much more likely to turn over the ball. Jaden Daniels is very secure with the ball. If he doesn't like it, he doesn't throw it. Um, he'll, he'll eat a sack and survive to, to fight another down or he'll throw the ball away. Nussmeyer knows he's got a gun and is like, I can fit that window every time. Uh, whether he can or can't, it's a little bit more dangerous, but the ability that wasn't shown to stretch the field with the playmakers they have, I think cost them big in this one because Florida State was able to control the line with their uh, the defensive line. Um, and I think if you can get that box out just a little bit, um, you can get some, some play stretching down. That will open up the runs a little bit more. That will open up more for Daniels to use his feet, which he did to, to good effect, but uh, not, not quite to the same effect as last year. I, it's one to me where you've made a decision in the offseason, we're going to go with the safe quarterback, not the high-ceiling one. And I think if you want to be maybe a playoff team, you just need the best version of Garrett Nussmeyer. Um, I don't know if that will ever play out throughout the season, but we saw both at the end of last season, and they, they each have their merits. And I think this, if you were to switch them for games, I think this was a Nussmeyer game. I think you needed it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to disagree heavily with you on that, Bri. Just for the fact that this team couldn't run the ball without Jaden Daniels in there. And so there was no threat in the box, except for the fact that he was going to run away. And so if you put Musmeyer in there, you just might end up with rushing four. Because, like, they, the defense controlled the, the line of scrimmage. There was one run for 35 yards. And then you look at the other runs, like, the, LSU abandoned the run the second half. Like, it's ridiculous. They completely abandoned the run. And that made Florida State be like, all right, well, we don't have to worry about that anymore. We only have to worry about a quarterback potentially scrambling. And we'll, we'll cover your, your receivers. Um, I would have liked to see a little bit more, like, jamming of these receivers and stuff like that, people playing a little bit tighter. Because um, I think receivers were o- o- wide open on both teams, like the whole game. And it's just a matter of who could catch the ball more often. Um, I do think Florida State's adjustment and desire not to give up on the run is what opened it up even more so because it gave Travis more time um, to actually – because if you watch that first half, there were receivers wide open right and left. But there was so much penetration in the backfield because they didn't have – they couldn't – Stop! Or they didn't have to respect the run at the beginning. That he can't hit. That Travis can't hit any anybody receivers. But then when the run comes and starts to work, the play fake has to work and it opens up, gives him enough time to start hitting receivers. 
Um, and that was the, the opposite for LSU. Like those, eventually the run disappeared and Florida State didn't have to worry about that. Uh, that I think that's the biggest thing. My takeaways are like, if Florida State plays in the potential of second half Florida State, this defense needs to get fixed a little bit still, in my opinion. Um, it, it wasn't, I mean, you still let up like what, 500 yards in this game or something like that. Like it's close. To that yeah, there point. are 300 in the first half alone. Yeah. So the, you got to fix some some issues with the defense. But if you can play that way on offense, so you maybe end up being a, you know, a Colorado team or you just outscore your team, your defense. Um, and Mike Norvell has shown at Memphis that he's not afraid to do that. But if you can shore that up, great. With LSU, dude, just the reaction after the game makes me worry for this team a little bit. Like Brian Kelly and, and Jaden Daniels like, we weren't the team we thought we were. We didn't know who we were. They're like, they're questioning who they are as a team. Like, instead of going like, you know what? We had a good game. We just didn't beat them. Like, that's that's not a good psyche for your team to be in and for your coach to be in. Um, so, how are you guys feeling about that SEC West pick? Uh, I'm going to be honest. I still feel fine. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was going to say like oh, – Go, go ahead. ahead, Bray. I just think matchup-wise, this is – they're not going to face wide receivers that good the rest of the year. That offensive line for Florida State isn't crazy, but it's good. And and I think the defensive line for LSU, while it wrecked FSU in the first half, it's going to destroy some other teams. And I think this will be a wake-up call to say, maybe we should use Harold Perkins a little different. Um, Definitely should have. I, I I think they still have a good chance to, to win the SEC West, if I'm being honest. I, I think there's the talent there. There's a wake-up call that you have already. You're still undefeated in the SEC. So, like, this doesn't actually take anything back for that. Um, and, and I think Alabama, I don't know, Texas A&M, we'll see if they're good this year, but I think Alabama's the hurdle. Um, and I still think, you know, Mason Taylor had a great game. Malik Neighbors is still Malik Neighbors uh, from the end of last season, still a very good player. Thomas, uh, number 11 wide receiver. Brian Thomas. Yeah, really good with the ball in his hands. Uh, and, and, decently big target as well. I think they have good things there. So I'm not overly concerned about that pick. Um, I just think if people thought they were going to the playoff, that that's, you know, it, really well in question at this point, because you're going to have to beat Georgia in the title game. If, if you make yeah. it there. I do need to put it in perspective. Like, okay, so I, I went back to LSU's yardage. They did 460 yards. And then you got to think about, oh yeah, they scored, had 75 on one play against the backups. So, I mean, Steve and I were watching that game, and we're like, what the heck happened? And they're like, Quindarius Jones and Edwin Joseph, who were just playing high school ball last summer. True freshmen, yeah. Yeah, true, yeah. true freshmen. We're like, oh, no wonder they got beat. So, I mean, you're looking at that. You're looking maybe 90 yards for the first – for the third half – or second half. Wow, third half. Second half before you put in the tra- – not the trash, but uh, the backups. <laughs> I – yeah. I, I feel – I, I, you, know, you can't walk out of that game feeling as good. Brian's like, I'm not worried, but I'm like, you don't, you probably don't feel as good as you well, did I, I, before I, I, that. Def- I certainly uh, don't feel more confident. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I think a staple of Brian Kelly is that his teams figure it out on the way. Like, right. Like that's something that he's always done. They play their best ball at the end of the year. Um, so it may take him a minute to get things a little bit retooled, but I expect them to do that. I expect them to rebound to a certain degree. Remember, you get your your number one defensive tackle back after this year week, which again, you know, uh, he's not the difference in a twenty one point loss. But um, 
you know, I'm just there. There's that. And I agree with Brian where it's like, maybe there's a wake up call with how we utilize some of our personnel, particularly defensively, that there's probably a better way to, to deploy those, those players. Uh, so I, I think that there's a lot of season left to play. Um, I'm just like, I, I, I guess I'm more concerned about the psyche of the team, kind of yeah. like you mentioned, Corey, than I am about like, x's and o's or talent like it's to me is like can they use this will this galvanize the team or will this make the team kind of start to uh start to you know kind of be focused on on individual goals as opposed to a a team and 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 chasing team goals i i do want to refute something that you kind of said you like brian kelly teams get better as the year goes on i feel like that was the narrative that everybody painted about lsu last year and I don't think that was true. I mean, you lost to Texas A&M, you barely beat Arkansas, and then you you beat a who was it, a Tennessee team? In the no, they they got blasted by Tennessee. Yeah, they got destroyed. Oh, yeah, so like they beat Bama though. Yeah, but I mean, beat in Bama, November. That was, not, that was not in their last five games though of the season. So it's like they kind of tapered off. It seems like a little bit because the A&M yeah. and the Arkansas game were both after that. Yeah, and the Arkansas yeah. game is far from impressive. Harold Perkins wins that one for you by himself. Well, and you're playing the back like of there. You played That's true. Malik Hornsby the whole time or somebody like that. Yeah, and I think that would have been some of – and I'd have to go back and watch that Arkansas game, but you had Harold Perkins spying Malik Hornsby for a lot of that game. He, he wasn't rushing off the edge. He was spying him. And I think there's some thought of like, well – Jordan Travis is one of those guys who can scramble and make extend plays. Maybe we throw Perkins back there because he closes like nobody else at the linebacker yes. position. He's <laughs> so quick. Um, but if your quarterback's content to sit in the pocket and the pocket stays clean, now you've just taken Harold Perkins out of the play entirely. Um, so I, I think there might have been some thoughts of Harold Perkins got a ton of sacks against Arkansas via playing the spy position, um, occasionally coming on blitzes, but mostly mostly sitting and waiting to see what Hornsby's going to do. But Travis isn't the type who's going to panic, um, and that you you needed that if you wanted Perkins to make an impact at that well, spy spot. And he's not a rusher for a rusher's sake. He's a rusher when it's a design run, and he doesn't come out of the pocket that much. And so to me, it's a little bit of a mistake. Whereas Malik Hornsby, 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 wow, is a he's like a, at least a collegiate high, fast one hundred meter dash person, like yeah. like ten two or something like that. Yeah. Um, the game when I was talking about them playing Tennessee, I was thinking about their their bowl game against Purdue. They blew out Purdue on the bowl game. Um, yeah, they lost to Georgia, but not not unrespectfully. But then you lost to A and M, and you and you lost to or you barely beat Arkansas. Um, and those were four out of your, or three out of your last five games. So, we'll see. fair, fair. Yeah, I, I mean it's it's one of those things that we'll have to kind of uh, monitor moving forward. I think LSU's got. Uh, has the talent and and has the football IQ and acumen from a coaching perspective to oh, yeah. turn around, but uh, we'll have to see what they can do and how they, uh, you know, I, I think that they thought they were going to win this game and to have it turn on its head at halftime where they go from up three to down 28 in relatively short order in that game. I mean, uh, that, they more than thought they were going to. Brian Kelly announced it on his radio show. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he proclaimed them the winners ahead of the game. Which, You're going to beat uh, the heck out of Florida State is the, the quote. <laughs> All right. Final game of the week. Let's let's go quickly on this. We're a little over an hour at this point. But Clemson, Duke, uh, 
again, I, I didn't watch this one start to finish. I think Corey, you you said you got was it was it you that said you, okay you got it take take it away man. Yeah. So I watched was, was 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 Duke more impressive or was Clemson just that that bad? Um, there was it's a little bit of both. So like the All play right. calling from a Duke perspective was was impressive. They capitalized on their opportunities when they needed to. Um, Riley Leonard did a good job to extend plays and and to get out of situations. There's one part where he. He seems like he's going to be sacked for a loss, and he spins out and goes for a 40-yard touchdown. All the receivers on, are on the left side. There's one receiver on the right side. He happens to spin out on the right side, and there's nobody there to, to catch him. He's like, bye, I'm gone. Um, yeah, so like, I think from my perspective, just the reaction from the media seems kind of like an overreaction about, oh, Clemson dismal and blah, blah, blah. Granted, they have lost three or four. So like, you have to put that in perspective. That like, It is a re- re- real reality, but – they're, they're, they they could lean, lean heavily on Shipley. They, I felt like they leaned on him at the beginning and then kind of got went away from that a little bit towards the end. Um, Duke's defensive line was very, very impressive. They got into the backfield. They made it hard for Kate Klubnik. They um, they helped contain the run pretty well, even though Shipley ran for over 100, like 115 yards or something like that. Um, they still seemed to be pretty dominant and pretty be- a lot better than I expected to be, like physically imposing. Um from a Clemson perspective, like just poor turnovers and poor luck. Like it, Dabo said, this was a weird game because like you run for over 200 yards, you pass for over 200 yards, but then you have like freaky, freaky, freaky things. You have a fumble on the one yard line. You have a fumble on the six yard line. You have two blocked field goals. You have um, a ball that hits a receiver, hits your running back in the, his hands and then gets tipped off and pick, picked off. Like, these are things that are not going to be not going to repeat themselves. I don't feel like, um, and just kind of came to kind of all, all the worst point in time. And even when you had opportunities, like Duke had to had a fumble and you had an interception or something like that. They're at, they're not at prominent times. Like there's, there's a fumble that happens on a kickoff or on a, on a punt that Clemson scores, but then there's like the interception or fumble. I can't remember at the end of the half that you don't have time to score on. Although Kate Kubelik probably should have thrown a Hail Mary to the end zone and instead he makes a poor decision of throwing like 20 yards. And it's like, okay, well, you're for five seconds left. You got to put it in the end zone. And just who cares if it gets picked off? So there's like some pieces of it is like Kate Kubelik's not making right decisions. He's hitting receiver, like he's hitting some receivers in the hands, but the receivers are not getting open either. And that's what I think the biggest weakness on this Clemson team is, is who's going to play receiver? Who's going to get open against a decent squad? Because I wouldn't say Duke has a decent defensive back group. They played a lot of zone um, to keep kind of everything in front of them, but players were not as open as you would expect them to be. And when he did hit them, they weren't catching the ball as much as they should have been. That, that's going to be an issue to see. Um, but I could easily see this being a round robin where Duke beats Clemson, Florida State beats Duke, and loses to Clemson, like kind of like that thing. Um, and then who ends up going to the ACC title again? Who knows? Um, but, yeah, just so – a weird game and Duke ended up just kind of being in control of it. And they never looked like they weren't in control after a while. My favorite part about the game is, uh, I don't know if any of you guys saw this on, uh, on Twitter or anything. Um, Riley Leonard saying, Hey, uh, professor, can you give me a pass on my homework tonight? And he goes, he comes back and goes, uh, the lineman got it done. So no, no extension. That's, uh, that's what happens when you go to play at Duke. You you actually might become an actual student athlete. That's uh, 
the the thing that they hold you to. Um, I know going into the season, uh, AC Media, ACC Media Days, they do a lot of these um, anonymous interviews where they'll interview like head coaches and they'll ask them questions and they'll give responses and then those responses get posted anonymous, anonymously. And there was a question about, hey, wh- like, what's the difficulty in guarding a Jordan Travis and defending him? And there was one that was pretty like dismissive of like, he's nothing special. I'm much more worried about Riley Leonard at Duke. <laughs> um, and it, so it was really going out of their way to say, hey, that guy, he's, he's really got it. And he had some some very impressive plays uh, throughout this game. The, the thing that sticks out to me on the Clemson side is you had 29 first downs in this game, uh, which is a ton. You had 29, Duke had 17. Your problem uh, outside of the freaky, you know, the freaky plays and the turnovers and things you got to clean up, your problem is the lack of explosive explosive plays. Your longest pass of the game was 21 yards. Um, Will Shipley's longest run, I think, was 18 yards, something like that. You did have, I think, Mafa who went for a, you had a near 50-yarder. But you need to have those big plays if you want to get on the uh, get on the scoreboard because it's much harder to sustain 16 plays of moving the ball down the field. Yeah, you'd like to have that consistency of being able to if you needed to. Um, but you know what's really nice is you know a touchdown and 60 yards away from the end zone. Uh, find a way to to make those playmakers get into a little bit more space, give them a little bit more ability uh, because they outgained them. They they had a good game, but ultimately when drives go that long, there's a lot better chance you're gonna have a, a fumble, an interception, some sort of error along the way, um, even a penalty or a sack that's gonna put it just enough off schedule to where you don't finish with points or finish with seven points. And credit to Mike Elko with the defensive scheme. I mean, we all are very, very respectful of him and that hire, but I mean, he, they, they designed that on purpose. They made Clemson say, go beat us. We're going to keep everything in front of us. Go beat us. And Clemson did, to be honest, drive the field constantly, constantly, constantly until they got into the red zone and all of a sudden they didn't know what to do. So. Yeah. Do you think Mike Elko is still at Duke in two years? I don't know if he's if at Duke in one year. Why not? <laughs> I'd pay. Him. Yeah, yeah. If they pay him for sure, I just like we talked about this when Northwestern when the Northwestern job opened up. I was like, you could get a job at a similar institution that's going to have a lot more money to pay you. Yeah. Uh, to do a similar job and and probably get the same if not better results. So, um, but if I'm yeah. a- Good call. Love that cool. I might go get Mike Elko too. Like, I'm not just a Northwestern. Like, if I'm like a, I don't know who, who's a team that we might be looking for a coach. UF, maybe Mike Elko is a good person to go get. Last guy who came from Duke and went to UF did pretty well. Yeah, good point. <laughs> <Spurrier>. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that covers our week one recap. So uh, now it is time for parting shots. Brian, fire away. Yeah, there's an old mantra in, in football, uh, kind of against a two-quarterback system, where if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. Uh, but as we saw on Thursday, if you have two quarterbacks, it's still a lot better off than having Graham Mertz back there. Um, that was a really bad version of Graham Mertz that showed up on Thursday. If that shows up all season, it is going to be rough in Gainesville. Uh, c- you know, credit to, to Barnes and to Johnson for the games that they played. Uh, but gosh, that was... You know, at that point, I was I was talking to Steve and I said, "You got to start looking for a Trey Burton or a Jordan Reed, um, somebody who who plays a skill position but played quarterback in high school because you need anything else." Right now, he's not solving any problems; he's creating more problems. Uh, 
that that's got to be fixed or or figured out somewhere down the line. It's interesting you say that because I would not have said Mertz was the reason they lost that game. <laughs> I feel like well, he, he wasn't, but for what I expected, like, he, he's missing quarter uh, running backs in the flat. He was missing easy throws. That's true. Yeah, and <laughs> you know what? Your running backs, you, you got to get the ball in the hands of people, and I think that he provided no threat in doing so. Yeah, the routine passes that he missed consistently. Uh, yikes. Yep. Corey. I'll give a shot. Uh, Brian Kelly walking back his words when he when they confronted him about saying, hey, we're going to beat the heck out of Florida State. He's like, uh, that's something I would never say. And then, like, quoted there. Everybody has it. It's on the radio. <laughs> you got to – this world that we live in, you can't go back on things, so – you know, just like we have to eat crow, I'm calling out Dion. You got to eat crow on the fact that you say you're going to be Florida State. <laughs> did, did he say it in a Louisiana accent? Is my question. Oh, of course, absolutely. We're going to be the heck out of Florida State. <laughs> that's an Orgeron accent. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I. That's what I kind of just. I, I, I Cajun is. I just think Ed Orgeron, um, <laughs> or, or or Troy Landry from Swamp People. Anyway, go to go to go to. To Elizabeth. Um, uh, as far as party shots, like I mean, I feel like I, I snuck in a couple there. The last one is just like, man, Fort Worth is more like Fort Worthless. They did not do it. like they just didn't look good. And I, it's funny. So they they flipped a four star QB commit from Duke. Who I after watching those two teams, do you not think he's like maybe I should just rethink and just go back to be with the Blue Devils because they are turning Riley Leonard into a superstar and uh, Chandler Morris looked a little shaky. I know they scored forty two points, but there was a lot of questionable things from a QB development standpoint so far. In TCU again, one game, one week does not make a season, does not make a career. But I just found that to be a really interesting dichotomy that there's a. Quarterback committed to Duke, flips to TCU, and now very different paths that they have started the season on. <laughs> Real quick question. What are your guys' feelings on Kendall Bryles? You like him, not like him, and on him? Indifferent. He's a journeyman. Yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not sold. I don't think he's a good – like, I wouldn't want him as my OC. I don't think his ceiling's super high. That that That's all it is. It's like I think he can make a decent offense out of just about anything, but – elite offense they'll put up big numbers because they'll have a lot of possessions uh but i i yeah i i wouldn't want him leading in a team if i wanted to win anything like win tight conference titles that sort of thing all right well that'll wrap up our week one review um soon to come out is our week two preview probably a little bit shorter than this one was um but we'll we'll see you on that next time Thanks for watching uh, or listening. Please like, subscribe, share with your friends. Uh, if you like our one-liners, clip them, send them to your buddies. Um, and, yeah, we'll keep this coming. It's football season, and it's a wonderful, glorious time of year. <laughs>